Blog Talk Radio. And I Today, I have Sharon Thomason on with me, and we are going to talk about clinical trials and conformed scent in Huntington's disease. Conformed scent, sorry. Um, you know, in, we've been talking about this as a Informed consent. <laughs> informed, informed consent. Man, I'm... Consent. <laughs> Here we go. Um, good way to start off the show. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about <laughs> clinical trials uh, for a really long time at Health for HD International, um, the importance of clinical trials, why it's important for us to participate, but also different ways we can help our community and walk our community through this process so we get these trials filled and so we can have possible new therapies uh, and treatments and, and hopefully one day the cure uh, for Huntington's disease. Um, so we started to come together as a company and we decided to figure out to talk about clinical trials, what they mean and all that. But we also decided this year to take it a little step further and to create a brochure about clinical trials and um, talk about uh, maybe ways that we can help support our loved ones through the process as well as our caregivers. So do you have anything you want to add to that, Sharon? Um, just that we're, we're going to go through some of the things that are covered in the brochure, and we're going to elaborate a little bit on, on things that we heard from Mark Yarborough last week. Yeah, definitely. So let's start out by what is a clinical trial? A clinical trial are research studies that explore whether a medical strategy, treatment, or device is safe and effective for humans. These studies also may show which medical approaches work best for certain illnesses or groups of people. So that is the actual definition of a clinical trial. And one thing I think that we really need to talk about, and Sharon, maybe you can talk about this for a little while, is what coercion is. What, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. The, uh, coercion, sorry, that um, what coercion means, like putting people um, that clinical trials coercion. are voluntary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, clinical trials are always voluntary. They're up to the participants and their families. So it's a very personal decision whether or not you participate in the clinical trial. No one can force you to participate. But at the same time, we know that if people do not participate, um, there's no way to find treatments or the ultimate, ultimate goal of finding a cure. So we encourage people to participate, but it should never be unless it's something that you want to do. And this is where you can 
you can get into some some pretty uh, sticky situations when when you have a a, a guardian who is speaking <laughs> for a patient um, legally the guardian can give consent but like I'm the the plenary guardian for my son which means that I make all medical and and financial decisions for him but I would never give consent for him to be in a clinical trial unless he and I had discussed it and I I knew that that he understood what it involved and knew that it was something that he wanted to do. And I know you've been through this with Mike too, even though you're not his his guardian. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We've had to have like um long talks and in a lot of clinical trials you need a um you need a caregiver with you. You need a care partner. Um it, it is actually mandatory criteria to be involved in the clinical trial is to have a care partner. Um, so I've, uh, Mike has been in um, seven clinical trials and, um, and studies with, along with our children, um, and, and I've always been the care partner in, in all of his trials as well as the trials that my, my children have participated in as well. Um, How did and, you handle informed consent for your kids? Now, that is very interesting, and, and I think that, you know, it, it's, it's wow, is it, did the University of Iowa do a brilliant job in this? You know, I, I think this is really hard to be able to talk to a child about what it means to be involved in a clinical study. Um, now, this was obviously no intervention. This was just a study. Um, uh, but we sat down when we went to Iowa. Uh, I sat down with my kids, and um, Cooper and Madison were involved in that study. Um, Macy was too young. But we sat down and we went over this consent. We talked about it, and they really explained um, in a very um, age-appropriate way what this meant. Uh, the way it was explained to Cooper compared to the way it was explained to Madison was, was different because we're looking at an 11-year-old compared to a 15-year-old. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so they used, they used terminology that the children understood, um, they used words. They didn't use words like benefit. This they would use words like you may not have a be- you aren't going to have a benefit to this. They would use like words like this. This isn't going to make a really difference in your life, but it'll make a difference in our life as the investigators, right? So, so they mm-hmm. really did. They did. They didn't use large words for the children. Um, they they had really really great ways of explaining what it meant, and um, and it was up to my children. I mean, if my children did not want to do this, and they said no. Um, they had the right, um, you know, part of the, part of this trial was a diagnostic test and, and they, they gave the children the choice of blood or, or, or to spit in a cup. And um, mm-hmm. my children uh, chose to spit in a cup, but if my children would have said, I'm not going to do either. <laughs> yes, of course. But if they said, I'm not going to do either, guess what? They wouldn't, they wouldn't have made them because that is their right. That was their choice. That's right. That's so, right. um, so yeah, so and I, I, you know, and it's my responsibility to sit back and and, and trust the team, and trust um, and watch and make sure that my kids fully understood, um, and make sure that they didn't feel uncomfortable for, through any part of that process. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think children is something that um, Mark 
touched on last week, Sharon, and we can talk about that a little bit. I'm sure it was touched on in when you were in Germany. Uh, but children is a whole yeah. different beast. Um, you know, we have children are, are how can a child properly consent to be a part in an investigational clinical trial uh, that has no benefit to them um, because you walk into a clinical trial knowing you have no benefit. Um, you are doing it to advance science. And, and how does a child really understand that? Um, and that, that, I think that's been a question of ethics for a very long time, so the entire piece of ethical course. Um, but, but I also think it's yeah, it, 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 strictly to, to further knowledge. You know, strictly to further knowledge. And, and yeah. you know this, Sharon. I don't have to explain this to you. And, and, you know, we know that Denise felt this with Aiden and all of our dear friends have felt this. Um, but you're fighting for your child. It is really hard to walk into a clinical trial setting and think that this has this may possibly not have a benefit for your child because you want it to have a benefit yeah. for your child. You're trying to save your child. So yeah. to walk into this clinical trial setting with the mindset that there is no benefit is hard. It is hard. Yeah. It's fair. Moms, hard. we want to protect our children. We want to relieve their suffering. We want to we want and to fix everything for them. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that is something that needs to be understood by parents. Um, is that that you your child and it being a part of a clinical trial process does not guarantee any benefit to you, to your family at all. You are doing it to advance science. Mm-hmm. That's a hard decision to make when you look at it at that angle. Um, yeah. 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 But but let's talk a little bit, um, and, and Sharon, if this is okay with you, I'm going to do the um, in the section of our clinical trial uh, new brochure. I would like to do the bring along, and if you do the tips, I think that would be be really good um, for us to go over. But okay. you know, clinical yeah, clinical trials are are um, they're long. I've I've been involved in many with my family, and they are very long days. The consent process is is incredibly long, and um, you know, and walking through the initial uh, blood draws, and it's, it's just a, it's just a very long day. And we know with Huntington's disease that we do have behaviors. We do have a psychiatric component in Huntington's disease, and we all know as caregivers we do not want to go there. We do not want our loved ones <laughs> to have behaviors or feel uncomfortable because then we as caretakers may feel uncomfortable for a very long time, days on end, and so will our loved ones. So what do we do exactly. to, to, yes, what do we do to bring down anxiety, to bring it down so our loved ones aren't going to feel anxious and have behaviors for days on end and, and, uh, and make life very challenging at home after a clinical trial. So here's some bring-alongs we thought about. We brainstormed, we thought about our, our loved ones, you know, our, our, my husband, uh, Sharon's Son, uh, Katrina's brother, Denise, the young children, our friends with the young children. We talked to the community about this for, for a while on, you know, what do we do to make our loved ones comfortable? So here are some bring-alongs. If you decide to be a part of a clinical trial and you and your, care, your, um, your loved one decides that you guys want to participate, here's some ideas. You may want to bring along snacks. We all know our uh, loved ones get very hungry, and when they don't eat, they get hangry, um, and we do not want that. <laughs> Um, bring along their favorite drinks. This includes, you know, my husband loved rock stars and energy drinks. They made him comfortable. They brought comfort to him. So let's bring those along. Also, always remember, bring your thickeners if your loved one has swallowing issues and straw if they need that. 
um, they probably will not have that in that hospital setting. Um, so, so make sure you bring that along. Entertainment. This is a long day, and it's a hurry-up-and-wait day. So you hurry up, you get there, and you fill out a ton of work, and then you wait. And then you blood, you know, you have to hurry up to the labs, and then you wait. So it's very much a hurry-up-and-wait day, and we know sometimes our HD loved ones don't like waiting. Um, they want to be home in their own environment and with their routine, and we're taking them out of that. So bring some entertainment that they would do at home, DVD players, playing cards, maybe an iPad, something that is going to keep them entertained on that downtime especially so they're not thinking about what's coming next and perseverating possibly over what's coming next. Always bring a change of clothes. Um, you know, keep, keep weather in mind. It may be cold outside, but it may be very hot in that hospital or in that clinical setting that the cl clinical trial is taking place in. So make sure we always keep in mind that our loved ones with HD, they're hot, they're, their body temperatures are, you know, sometimes they're, they have an internal furnace that burns like no one else is, and sometimes they're freezing. So let's keep that in mind that, it may be different types of, yeah, you, of um, weather. Mm -hmm. You may even want to layer because sometimes you mm -hmm. can be there for a whole day. And at least here in Florida, we can start out with a, a, a pretty chilly temperature. And by the afternoon, it's going to be hot. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You can see that. Um, briefs and wipes, wipes. That's if you know if your loved one is 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 to that point in that stage of the disease. You know we want to make sure we bring everything that we would use at home. Medications are very important because that is one thing they will ask you. They will ask you about medications, and hopefully they'll give you a list prior for you to fill out. But sometimes that's not always the case, or sometimes we don't have time to fill out that pre that preclinical um, packet that we're supposed to bring with us because we're doing other things. They are going to want to know your medication type. They're going to want to know the, do the milligrams or the dosage, and they're going to want to know how many times a day your loved one takes it. Um, some of our loved ones are on very mul uh, multiple, multiple medications. I know my husband is, and I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head um, how many milligrams um, he takes of Zoloft. Um, I just know he takes it once a day. So, you know, um, so that's important to bring those along. Um, a pillow and a light blanket, you know, the hospital settings and the clinical study settings are going to have pillows, but they're uncomfortable. Um, we all know our loved ones. We all, and not only our loved ones, we like our pillow. So go ahead and just maybe throw that in to bring them comfort and maybe a light blanket in case that just to bring them comfort. Um, phone chargers, this is really important because, you know, you are going to have a lot of downtime. So, you know, you'll find you and your loved one on your, your cell phones. We live in the day of the cell phones, and, um, and it's a long day. And you don't want to make sure that you, when you leave there, you don't have a, a phone when you may need contact for your loved one. So make sure you bring all your charging devices. And then anything that your loved one's going to need, walker, wheelchair, et cetera, at DME, um, there is going to be downtime. So, you know, you may want to go walk the halls with your loved one and, and bring down some anxiety and definitely safety first. Make sure that you have all your measures of keeping your loved ones safe during that day, especially because they will have probably a little built-up anxiety no matter what we do. Sharon, if you want to talk about and this we've, a little bit. We've, yeah, we've even had um, enough downtime that we could leave the hospital campus and go somewhere mm -hmm. and, and grab a bite of lunch or or go where right. and, somewhere and get some ice cream or something like that. So, you know, be be prepared to, to take a little side trip. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a very good thing to note that you may get the opportunity. Yeah, and if you do take it, if you can, yeah, absolutely. get out of that clinical setting. Yeah. 
Okay. okay. So sure, if you want to talk about tips. Yeah. Leave early for the trial time. If you're stressed about arriving late, both you and your loved one will have a much harder day. And this is especially important if it's your first time visiting the clinic for this study. You want to allow enough time to, to find exactly where it is, where you can park, and there's usually paperwork that you need to fill out when you get there, especially for the first time. Um, the first time that we went for the enroll study, we're doing it at a, a hospital that's about two and a half to three hours away from us, and it was a, an early morning appointment. So we even went the night before so that we could get up and, and be there in time the next day. And I scouted out the exact location and the parking the night before. Um, eat a full breakfast unless your loved one has been asked to fast. Um, if you're not bringing along your medications, do print out a list of all the medications, including any over-the-counter medications and supplements. And again, um, make sure that you have the the dosage, you know, how many milligrams or micrograms or whatever. Um, both the caregiver and the patient should wear comfortable clothing and shoes as it will be a long day. Absolutely. And Sharon just brought up a really, really good point when she talked about how when she went with Randy, they went and she she, she scouted out um, part, you know, this is a, it's really important to know parking instructions like she was talking about and also directions. Um, we do live in a, in a day of Google Maps and Waze, but sometimes that, you know, some people don't have that. So definitely know where you're going. Maybe it, if it's close to your home, it may be a, a, you may want to scout it out the day before. Maybe drive by and just make sure. If it's far away, obviously, we, you, you can't do that. But, but kind of get familiar with where you're going. Yeah. It yeah. makes you a lot less stressed. And if you're less stressed, your loved one's going to be less stressed. Yeah. And we all know that, that our loved ones, um, um, I'm kind of going down the checklist right now of the trial, and, and we'll put this up for everyone to see, but um, talking about minimal discussions, I think this comes into obviously perseveration. We don't want our loved ones to um, fear this day or to think too much about this day because um, they, they may get stuck. And if we get them stuck, it's going to build up anxiety in them. and They're not going to be able to sleep, and they're going to get stressed out. And, um, and that's unnecessary. So try to bring down a lot of discussion about this day um, so that they don't, they don't have, start having, be feeling uncomfortable or having behaviors. But at the same um, time, if they, if they have a question, just answer mm -hmm. it. Just as short and simply as as you can, and then move on yeah. to something else. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, activities the day before we've talked about this. You know, is is as a company is is that what worked for our loved ones was, you know, watching your favorite movie, keeping things calm. It's not a good idea to run out and go grocery shopping and try to, 
run them around to a doctor's appointment and try to run them around to, you know, a physical therapy appointment, all this the day before a clinical trial. A clinical trial is going to be a very long day for them. So maybe the day before, just kind of do some things that you like to do around the home and keep, keep your loved one calm. We all know keep them on routine, right? Sharon, we know that. Routine, routine, yeah. routine. And, um, and, and so keep their routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap up this brochure to talk about um, review, and then I'm, we're going to go into talking about um, Mrs. Thomason's amazing trip to Europe. But um, talk to your coordinary, uh, coordinator frequently with all your questions. Request and review that informed consent. It looks like a mortgage document. It is thick, and I know you're not going to sit and read it, verbatim because who would? Who would sit and read every single word? But scan it, maybe scan it, look over it so you're prepared um, to go over this with a clinical trial um, investigator with your loved one and you know what you're getting into. And then, of course, always plan your day uh, before the clinical trial day, before in your head as much as possible so you are ready to go and you, um, you're, you can support your loved one through through that day. Um, I want to talk about your trip to Germany recently, Sharon. So kind of give us a okay. kind of give us a background of where you were and why you were there. Okay. This was a fascinating conference. It was sponsored and paid for by the Volkswagen Foundation, which I learned is separate from the Volkswagen cars. The the, the two were separated years ago into a, a foundation that um, that pays for uh, furthering research in all different areas. And then, of course, they have the, the arm of Volkswagen that produces the cars. So um, Mark Yarborough, who you talked to last week on, on the radio show, and uh, a gentleman from from Germany collaborated in planning a conference on bioethics. And it was held in Hanover, Germany, which is in Lower Saxony, uh, which is actually kind of in the northeast section of of Germany. And it was a a three-day conference. February 14th through the 16th, and they had people from all over the world who were talking specifically about the the challenges of bioethics. And one thing that came up again and again was the challenge of informed consent and how can we make consent process easier for patients and the the one comment that many people had was that over the years it's evolved from just a few pages to like you said a mortgage document it's just huge pages and pages and pages and so of course, they they want to cover any and everything that you could possibly want to know um, 
for liability on, on their end. But on our end, we we want it quick and easy. You know, we don't want a bunch of pages that are to understand. Um, and one of the things that my my part was speaking as a, a voice for the Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease community. And one of the things that I brought up is the fact that we really don't have research for juvenile Huntington's disease and how important it is that that changes. We've got to have research for our kids. Um, we've got to have clinical trials for our kids. We have studies, we have lab research, but we don't have anything that's even close to moving into clinical trials. And and I think they heard that message loud and clear. I hope so. Me too. And thank you for bringing that to that concept, that uh, that conference that needed to be that needed to be addressed, and thank you for, for doing that and being our voice in that space for sure. Now, there was a lot of scientific stuff that I wouldn't even pretend to understand, but, um, you know, the general feeling there was, was that people were excited about doing uh, this uh, translational neuroscience is what they called it. I had to stop and think for a minute of the term, but um, and and not just kind of you know mad science has gone wild. And mm-hmm. as science has evolved, and and we've gotten into things like stem cells and gene editing and gene silencing and gene modifying, it's it's gotten mm-hmm. a lot more complicated. So Absolutely. These were the things that they were concerned about and they and they they all wanted to make sure that that they're doing this in the best way possible. And right. I know one thing that, that you learned in your interview with Mark last week is that community members can be on these IRBs, at least in California, and mm-hmm. get the institutional review boards. And this is another place where patient advocates can have a voice. Yeah, I was shocked when I heard that. I, 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 I you know, I... I knew that the FDA had patient uh, voices and representation. I knew the NIH does, I know. But I didn't know that you could actually volunteer your time to be a voice on an um, internal review board. Um, so I, I thought that was incredibly, incredibly important for us to know that we can be a voice on that. Because like Mark said, you know, they can't possibly know the details of every single disease that they are reviewing, Right. So they need help right. from patient advocates to help them understand. Um, yeah, they how want to know how the, the community, community feels about it. Absolutely. Um, well, one thing can is patients, that, that I think we need. Can to patients be on uh, that too, or just patient advocates? 
He just said community, so we'd have to clarify that with him. But he just said community, okay. but I would imagine it would be either or. Um, but we definitely would, would want to clarify that. Yeah. Um, I really want to push the push this point of the importance of a clinical trial. We will never have ever a treatment, a therapy, or a cure for Huntington's or juvenile Huntington's disease in the United States of America without a clinical trial process. We won't. And so this, and what we're talking about, is so important. It's critical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely critical. And we found some very interesting statistics when we were putting together this brochure. Um, 85% trials fail to retain enough patients. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Here we fight right here to get it at site. Fifty percent of sites enroll one or no zero patients in their studies. Yeah. We fight so hard to keep financially clinical research moving forward. Um, we fundraise. We do all we can to keep that bench work going. Um, so we fight for research to not die in the valley of death, but then we let it die in clinical human trials. It's something our community, we, we, have to, we have to come together and we have to fight for the next generation. So how do we support clinical trials? Sharon just said it. One we join IRBs. We help them understand. Two, we enroll. Now, if you can and if you are comfortable as a caretaker and a patient enrolling, we enroll if you are comfortable and if you qualify. And two, yeah. and three, I'm sorry, we support research financially and we continue to help our researchers. So let's talk about a little bit about personal experience. Sharon, can you share with us um, a little bit about, so I, I think that people get really excited when they hear about clinical trials, and, um, but they don't realize that there are, there's inclusion and exclusion criteria. Mm-hmm. And so those particular criteria can really be a challenge with our particular population. Um, when, when Randy first tested positive, um, before he was diagnosed, but he decided to do the pre-symptomatic testing when he was 18. And when he first tested positive, he was all about getting into any trial he possibly could get into. I mean, you know, he had watched so many of his family members die from Huntington's. He'd watched his father and two of his uncles and, you know, great uncles and aunts and cousins and you know he wanted to do something and every trial that we looked into that was geographically close enough for us to participate he couldn't participate in because he was taking psychiatric meds 
which was an exclusion criteria in every one that we looked at. And he was using drugs and alcohol. Or it, it may have been a time when he was clean and sober, but in the recent past, he had been using drugs and alcohol. And you had to have been clean and sober for, say, a year or two years to be included. So we know that those two criteria are particularly challenging for people in our community because, A, a lot of our loved ones take some kind of psychiatric drug, even if it's just an antidepressant, and B, it seems that a lot of our population self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, we just got back. We returned from Riverside um, this last weekend, and the really great things, the neurologist, this brilliant neurologist that spoke and, and the panel oh. was saying, we need to turn this. This is a neuropsychiatric disorder. And until people okay. know that, and understand, well, why are they on psychiatric medications and depression? Please recognize what our disease is, and then you'll know. Yeah. So, um, but yes, yeah. So, you know, there are barriers in, in clinical trials. There, there is this exclusion criteria, um, and, um, you know, this, and unfortunately, not everyone is going to qualify to be in clinical trials. So, you know, definitely before you, you get into it too deep, you definitely want to call the clinical trial site um, or the coordinator and talk to them about inclusion and exclusion criteria. Um, you know, maybe a caretaker is, a caretaker um, will want to talk to them first before they even really talk to their loved one about the clinical trial. But their loved one may say absolutely not, and that's okay. Then you don't move forward. But you know, do we really want to talk about it with our loved one when they they may not even be they may not be able to be included because then we may have perseveration of why 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 wasn't I included? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and I made that, that mistake. I made that mistake with with one that we recently tried, and I I talked to the the trial coordinator at um, not the uh, I always get mixed up on the terminology not the doctor but the person at the clinic who was in charge of enrolling the trial is who I'm coordinating okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um, I was all set and Randy was all set we had talked about it and talked about why it might be a good one for him to to be enrolled in. And um, Mm -hmm. she had us fill out all these papers, and then we had to get copies of all of his medical records sent to her. And then I got a very short email. Um, We're sorry, but the doctors reviewed the records, and he's not eligible. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the reasons were the ones that I talked about prior uh, history of alcohol and drug abuse, although it's been four years, um, and taking psychiatric medications. 
And if I had been told that at the very beginning, it would have saved a lot of time and trouble on a lot of people's part. Well, and I think you just, yeah, I think you just made up a good, you made a good point is that maybe your coordinator isn't going to know the investigator to know who is able to be included in the clinical trial. So your coordinator should know, um, right? But um, it's really, it comes down to the investigator. You would think so. Uh I mean, I think that's, I mean, why walk through this process of this paperwork and this and that and um, so, so that that to me, um, I, I'm not talking bad about anyone, but it, it looks like there was a flaw in that that um, that system. Yeah, um, and that's because that's, that's a lot of work on the coordinator's part too. Yeah, yeah. But our big thing is our community, and that's who we're protecting. That's mm-hmm. our job as patient advocates, right. help for HD and caretakers, is to protect our patients, and um, and. It's just, it's just, yeah. And so we don't want them to feel like they are discriminated. We don't want them to feel like they weren't good enough. Um, right. You know, because these are things that, that someone with HD may feel. And we don't want our loved ones to feel that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some advantages, some advantages to participating in a clinical trial are, you know, remember that there's no benefit to you. There is no benefit in this this proposed possible treatment or therapy to you. You are helping advance science. But what are some advantages? One, you're helping advance science. Your work, you're, you know, you're putting some, yourself out there for the next generation, and that is pretty um, inspiring and empowering yeah. that and you're that part of the difference. Your children or your grandchildren. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Another advantage is you get, Another, to, you get to see expert care. Yes. Some people yes. some people don't have access to expert care. They have zero access. And in a clinical trial study, setting, you are going to have experts that are going to be investigating this new drug or therapy, potential new drug or therapy. So you you are going to have a little bit of expert eyes on. And a lot of times it's going to be a team of experts. Yep. Absolutely. Yep, clinical trials. We, we you know, in the the, the um, stem cells trial that my husband was involved in, in the, the the observational part of the study, the trial. You know, we saw psychiatrists, we saw a genetic counseling, we saw you know a neurologist, we saw a nurse. Um, it was like being almost in a in a um, multidisciplinary setting. Mhm. Mhm. So. Um, and you establish a relationship with those people too. And a lot of times you can communicate with them in between visits if something's yep, going absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yep. Let's talk about the biggest news right now in our community, and that is IONIS, which is now Roche. Um, mm-hmm. And what people need to know. Okay. So there's a, we, we've talked about this as a company because we want excitement and we want hope and we want a therapy or a cure for our loved ones. But we also don't want to, we want people to understand that, yes, this is exciting. We are all so excited about this. 
We've been watching it for a long time. But we also understand, have to understand that this still has to go through clinical trials here in the U.S. And I'm talking to our U.S., you know, we know that Canada and, and Europe. But, you know, I, I saw when this big press release and news came out that people were like, well, when do we get the therapy? When do we get the, when are we able to sign up? When can we go? And, and the answer is we don't know. Um, you know, this still has to be approved to go into a clinical trial. Um, you know, we've heard news that, you know, they're going to try to go into a phase three. We don't know that. This is all up to the, um, the sponsor of the trial and, and the investigators. Left. But really, it's up to the FDA, right? They're mm-hmm. the ones that make the rules and make the guidelines. So we are kind of waiting to see what we're going to get. And I'm sure we'll hear. But I want people to understand that this is this is been it's amazing news on safety and tolerability. It's it's exciting, absolutely. But we have a ways we have to we have to wait. We have a ways to go before we get to celebrate. And hopefully one day we will. Yeah. But and we the have difference between a go. Uh, phase phase two and phase three is that a phase two shows whether it's effective. Well, they've kind of shown that already in the phase one study, and that's why right. they think they may be able to, to jump to phase three. Um, right. Phase two generally takes months and involves hundreds of people. Phase three takes years. It's a larger scale safety and effectiveness study, and it right. involves thousands of participants so even if we do hear that they're going to jump to phase three it's not something that's going to happen a year from now or two years from now you know it good science doesn't work that way um right so but the best way it's exciting news i mean it's the the first big news we've had since the discovery of the gene. Oh, yeah. And that was in 1993. And we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for something like this. So, yes, it's very exciting. And I don't want people to get discouraged because they hear it's not going to be overnight. If anything, I hope that this will encourage people to enroll in trials if they're able to. Yeah. Because the sooner yeah. they get the trials enrolled, the sooner they can finish the phase three study and move forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we yeah, we are we're a, we are um I wasn't around when the gene was discovered. Um, this wasn't part of I, my, my life wasn't impacted by HD yet, but I know you were, Sharon, and, and uh, yeah. you guys have been waiting a long time. And years yeah. prior to that, you were involved. And so this is a long wait. So I understand these pioneers that have been doing this for years and years and years. Um, I, I understand they're, they're, I'm sure they are so excited, but they're also cautious. Because they remember mm-hmm. in 93, they thought a cure would be coming right around the corner. And here we are in 2018. Oh, yeah. They told us, they told us we'd, we'd have a cure in 10 years. And, and yeah. of course, it wasn't even close. So what I see right. is 
cautious optimism. Yep, I love that. Yep. And and know that um, the second we hear of anything, the second we hear what, what the FDA is going to allow, if they do allow this clinical trial, and, and once it opens enrollment and all that, know that Health for HD is going to be here to report to you guys. We are going to make sure that we Absolutely. have Roshan with us and talking about it. We will keep you informed every step of the way. Yeah. You'll so, hear um, shouting because, from the, <laughs> from the rooftop. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think I think that we covered uh, quite a bit in this show. Um, is there anything else we're missing, Sharon? Um, I guess the only other thing would be how can people get a, a copy of of this brochure if they're interested. <laughs> <laughs> We have um we have our our this this is a new brochure so bear with us <laughs> we um we just actually Sharon just finished the, finished the editing process and pulling it all together um so this is this is new uh but so our all of our brochures are available on our website under resources but that this one is not up yet but we will have it up soon um also any live events um help for HD is that you will see our brochures and all of our publications and never and and don't ever feel bad about reaching out to us and saying send us one. Um we can pop one of them in the mail for you. So you can see it. So I think you can always contact us through our contact page at www.help4hd.org. Um you can in maybe in the next couple of days go to our resource and, and um resources and see if it's up yet. If it's not, like I said, contact us. We will send you one immediately. And then um but hopefully we will have it available uh for downloading soon. We also realize some people don't have maybe want to take this to um family members or, or someone and you may not have a printer. Um if that's the case, all you have to do is contact us. Um Help for HD, we are very, very um committed and fast to getting you the information that you need. We try to be as a small company. So we do it with law enforcement and we do it with any of our publications. So you can always reach out to any of us and um, we'll make sure you get it. And am I missing anything, Sharon? Mm, when's our next live event? Our next live event will be um, the JHD Casino Night Out. Um. And that event is in Wisconsin, New Berlin. Um, and um, so that's incredibly exciting. All that money is going to go to, um, to uh, um, I'm sorry, to JHD Research at UC Davis. Jennifer Narott puts that event on, and it's, it's, a, um, it's a great event. Um, and that one will be um, on April 7th. Um, and uh, so if anyone lives in New Berlin, Wisconsin area, please contact Jennifer not, or contact us, and we will put you in contact with Jennifer um, to, uh, to uh, go to that event. It, it always, they always have fun time, and they, they raise uh, quite a bit of money um, for, uh, for juvenile Huntington's disease. Then May 17th, we have a movie night out in Sacramento. We're going to be premiering The Warriors which is our documentary on juvenile Huntington's disease. And then our next really large event um, is June 30th in Gainesville, Florida, and that is one of our Help for HD Education hype days. So we are very excited to come back to Florida. It feels like coming home for us um, and, uh, and bring that to more of a, I may be saying this wrong, is it northern Florida, Sharon? 
Yes, it is in North Florida. Yeah. yeah. So so that is exciting. Um, live event. And then next week's radio show will be on LEAP. Um, our LEAP team just returned from Alabama and uh, where they spoke to about 500 officers about Huntington's disease. And they had a huge response, and they have a lot to talk about, about what law enforcement thought that they can, some ideas for them to help us, and then as well as their learning about us. Um, and so we will be on next week with Vicki Ellen for her to talk about kind of what happened at that event and, and what she can bring back to us and what we can, we can do for our law enforcement to help them understand us better as well. Um, just to make sure our loved ones are safe and protected at all times. Um, I would like to say um, our hearts go out to uh, Denise Hudgel, our um, our ex- uh, executive. I'm going to start crying. Our executive board member at Health for HD. She is our CFO. Um, uh, she lost Aiden, and um, he passed away of juvenile Huntington's disease. And Aiden was a face for us, JHD, and he and everyone. You know, um, Denise. One of our many faces, right? Denise has helped so many JHD families, and she is a powerhouse advocate who is loved by everyone who knows her. And um, and Aiden was that smile that could brighten any room, and he is free from JHD now. Um, melts heart. Yeah, he melts our heart. Yeah, he melted all of our hearts, but he's he's free, and and let us all have our thoughts and and love going to Denise over the weekend when she um, has her services for her, her baby who's no longer with us. We need a cure for juvenile Huntington's disease. We need a treatment. We need a therapy. These kids should not be suffering like they are. And we need to fight for our kids just like we do our adults, just as hard. Yeah. 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 So I think we can uh, wrap up the show and, and until next week, meet us uh, same time, same place, Wednesday, 1 o'clock. Uh, p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Um, Until then, everyone have a safe week, and um, we'll talk to you next week. Sharon, you want to end with yours? Um, um, Oh, you have to end with yours. You always say, let's make 2018. Oh, let's make 2018 the year of the cure. It's my favorite. All right, everyone, have a good night. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.